Good morning, I'm Justin Miller, and welcome to Best of Swing Thoughts on TSN 1150 Hamilton. Brought to you by TaylorMade Golf, Adidas, and our newest sponsor, the Bushnell Tour V4 Shift Laser Rangefinder. On today's episode, we're going to reach back into the archive vault for a conversation between golf's spiritual leader, humble Howard Glassman, golf expert Tim O'Connor, and special guest Dave Robinson. This interview touches on a few points that you may want to consider as we get into the dog days of summer out on the course. Golf's a funny game. It's so... It has so much in it that's a metaphor for how people conduct their lives. Um, it's a huge interest of mine and Tim's, I'm sure, that, you know, golf, there's that saying that golf it reveals character. And you really get to see how a, a, a person will say, a man in this particular, you get to see how they are in the rest of their lives by the four and a half hours and how they conduct their business. Now, you're enough of a golfer. What are your thoughts about that? Couldn't agree with you more. In fact, uh, Howard, my uh, dad had a phrase: um, "You you can tell a lot about a person when you go play golf with them." Absolutely, and um, character is revealed in the toughest times, and um, that's one of the things that I find interesting. Based on watching this master verbal tennis match that was going on between you and Tim this morning, um, that you know. Watching people and their composure or lack thereof determines where they end up in their golf score. I know that's true for me. Um, If I focus on bringing the past into the present, then what happens is that I essentially continue my bad swings, my bad shots, and my score plummets. But if I find a way to reset and be present in the moment with every swing, I can change the results simply by focusing on the outcome that I want. And that's very true for business and people and leadership. You know, I, I, I mentioned to you too, <clears throat> excuse me, just before we started that uh, one of the things I wanted to throw out to Dave and Tim is, I've been thinking a lot about this week, a lot about this this week, that there is this fallacy about life that it's supposed to be easy. You know, we all have, you have kids? I do. I have yeah. two boys. Well, you know, we all have children. And, you know, one of the things you, you hope that, their paths are, you know, a, an easy one. But in actual fact, it should be. There should be some strife, strife and difficulty, Absolutely. and they you, they need to overcome some adversity to show them that that's that is that's the snapshot. You know, I have a daughter, <clears throat> one that's uh, you know struggles with some you know emotional issues, and and I had this conversation with her the other day. I said, you can't put everything that's going perceptively wrong you know it's all about you know i'm not sure if i want to be with this guy and blah 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 i go but honey all the things you're going through everyone goes through so don't worry don't that's the one thing that a lot of people pile on is to think oh i'm the only one yeah. this has ever happened to well it's, everything's happened to everybody and you accept that and as a golfer you kind of have to realize that every round's going to have some crappy moments yeah, well it comes back to life is hard it yeah. can be. It doesn't mean it's all suffering. It doesn't, and we have snippets of joy, but it's largely how we get through the tough parts that determines how we do in golf, in our relationships, in in life. Is how we how we deal with those things. But isn't there a thing um, like a life is hard? Once you get that, I mean, there, I'm trying to think who said that. It's like there was a philosopher that went, "Just understand, this is supposed to be shitty. 
Now, it's actually, um, I'm not sure if it's Buddhist or not. It's the uh, life is suffering yeah. is a Buddhist concept. Right. So once you understand that it's suffering, then you can breathe through the anxiety-producing moments. To un- but most people have this fantasy that it's a reality show where everything works out. We were talking about this when we played golf on Friday, that people have this sense that 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 life is supposed to be easy and most people have it easy they'll look at at the the people who do you know lots of speeches on the internet and all these youtube videos they're always happy and smiling and many people clapping for them and they never make a mistake Uh, no 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 they make a lot of mistakes and a lot of them you know have lonely quiet moments in hotel rooms all by themselves but there is a perception that golf should be easy because we see these guys swinging on tour with you know perfect moments you know third and fourth round we see the best guys we see people at their best most of the times we don't see people when they're when they're struggling that's a great point because on facebook on social media our children are exposed to other human beings putting up their their best moments david uh robinson would say ye absolutely and um it reminds me of a campaign advertiser that uh, i can't remember what the company was but the phrase was practice so hard they think you're lucky and right. what uh, that what that tells me is that if i'm working behind the scenes on my life or in my golf swing people are only going to see the product of that effort they're not going to see me actually going through that practice and life is really about living practice you know whatever level of golfer you know you are i am dave is there's a weird thing that Higher, higher handicap players, uh, I've said this to me all my golfing life, man, if I could just hit it like you, then everything would be fine. And I always think, well, no, you don't know how many times around, uh, you know, that I want to punch myself in the face, the old me. Uh, This new me is completely different. Um, But same with, you know, when you watch Jason Day play his best, he still has hit a number of shots that you wouldn't believe how far away from the optimum he thinks it was. It might be the best shot we've ever hit, but it wasn't for him. You know, your client, my friend Paul Gortner, and I played yesterday, and, you know, he wasn't playing great, but he made a couple of birdies late, eagled the second last hole, and shot a pretty decent number. But if you asked Paul, how did you play last night? He'd go, just okay. But the number he shot might be somebody else's best score of their lives. The point being, it's all relative. You know, we see people seemingly successful. And then, you know, David, you would could speak to this. They're living lives of quiet desperation, and they basically hate themselves. Mm. Yeah, you know, as I'm thinking about that and, you know, self-hatred, certainly I've been a member of that club. Um, one of the- I'm like in the self-hatred, like the Dollar Shave Club. I get a new <laughs> I get a new bit of self-hatred every month until I opt out of the program. <laughs> I get email notifications every day. Right. Do you remember you do this? <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, I Don't forgot forget. that. Hey, Howard, just a reminder to hate yourself exactly. today. And here's why. Here's why. Why would it be a member of a club that I'm a member of? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Okay, so... You know, one of the things that strikes me as I'm listening to you guys talk is the conversation around comfort and comfort zone. Like, I know that I perform best when I'm comfortable, and yet there's a degree of discomfort that I need to be on that edge of growth. And if I hang out in being comfortable, I'm not going to grow, and I don't improve. And the paradox in golf for me is that the more uncomfortable I am, the worse I play. So there's this place of, I heard you say something um, about Fred and what he was talking about with regard to freedom. And my belief is that people make choices, whether it's with golf or in life, from either the place of fear 
or the pace of or the place of freedom, excuse me. And so what that means for me is that when I make a choice out of fear, I often really don't like the outcome. When I make that place of my choice from freedom, it gives me all kinds of options and mm-hmm. options give me flexibility, which when I'm out of my comfort zone, I get really rigid. You know, sometimes there's almost like a third prong to that. And I, what you said is so it resonates perfectly with me, but sometimes making a decision about something you're afraid of to go through with it anyway is one of the most liberating things you can do. Because even if you fail at it, at least you'll have the feeling like, well, I was, I was afraid of that, but I did it anyway. And there's some kind of weird thing that happens, I think, in your myelin or mylar. It, it, it creates a different connection. The way Tim would phrase it, I think, is it gives you evidence of having gone through something and, you know, at least attempted, you know, at least made yourself face something you're afraid of, whatever that is. Well, I go with this is what you talked about last week about quitting smoking. That's a hard thing to do, but you put a new spin on it and commit to it and put Well, no, the spin is everyone thinks it's a hard thing to do, so of course it's going to be hard. Yeah. But if you approach it like it isn't the hardest thing in the world, I'm sure that, I don't know, Battlefield brain surgery has got to be tougher than that. Just I've never said that phrase in my life, but I'm going to use it. I like it. Um, but you commit to it. Yeah. It's you the commit, commitment. Well, you commit to the fact that it's not going to be the toughest thing. But the question is, are you committing to quitting or are you committing to stop smoking? That's different because there's a journey in quitting. People are professional quitters, but they seldom ever stop. That's a great distinction. Whoa, you know? the, nice. the, the method that I use is actually called Alan Carr's easy way to stop smoking. And his whole point is um, it takes no willpower to do something you don't want to do. I have no problem walking by the heroin uh, addict that w- lives down the street from here because I have no desire to do that. The reason that people have difficulty quitting smoking is that they have just basically are smokers that stop themselves from smoking. They're not non-smokers. It's a big distinction. Mm-hmm. Non-smokers. Does it, for, does it work for shanking? N- yes. Although you've actually... Was that shanking or shagging? Shagging. Shagging. Alan Carr's easy way to stop shagging, baby. (laughs) Um, We're in conversation with Coach Tim, David Robinson. Who's a coach? Who's a coach? Coach Dave. Um, And you're coach-like. Yeah, absolutely. When I play with you, you like, hey, you know what you're lining up here? Here, just here. Put your club here. Look here. Go here. Isn't that easier? I, I'm an encourager. I'm a professional encourager. You are. Um, oh, we're talking golf. We're talking some uh, life stuff today. I'm very interested in uh, Dave and how you would react to this. You know, what I told you guys before I wanted to talk about, and I've been thinking a lot about, is there's this thing that, you know, we, as we've been talking about, that the people, I think, sometimes don't face... Uh, adversity because they're surprised that adversity happens. On the other hand, if you're expecting it, in every round of golf, you're going to have some challenges. So from a coaching standpoint, you golf, you life, you know, what, what can people do before a, an important section of time in their lives or in, 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 before an important round, which will be a segue to the fact that a lot of guys listening are either going into their club championships or will have just played it by the time we put this up. Mm-hmm. So let's talk golf first. All right. I think that if I go, I know that I'm going to make some mistakes, that I'm a human being. Uh, I don't possess a, a consistent swing. You know, it's, it's good enough, and it gets me around. So I know that there's going, to be some, uh, there's going to be some troubled waters. And if I can just go in knowing that that's going to happen, then I can accept it. So it's kind of a logical thing, but it's also not attaching myself emotionally 
that if I launch one into the woods, suddenly I go from being a very good golfer to a bad golfer and that everyone around me is going to think I suck. It's just really just getting on with it and moving along. Well, I like what you said, though, about knowing that at the beginning of any round, especially about, uh, a perceptive or perceiving uh, a pers- what am I trying to say? A perceived important one. Right. You're like a club C. And yeah. yeah you're Where it's all, everything's exacerbated. Everything is heightened. You know, I don't know what the similar analogy would, would, would be in your world where you're coaching an executive through a big presentation or a hiring process, but something that's elevated. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, there's... So I have a, a philosophy, and that is, you know, when we're in situations where, let's say we're going to a conference... You know, whether it's a golf conference or a business conference, walk into a conference room. There's 500 people there. I don't know anybody. The first thing that I'm going to do is I go into a place of mental comparison. So Mm. I walk into a room and then I compare. I'm doing it for two reasons. One, am I safe? Two, do I fit? The next is then what do I do? There's two choices. I can compete with you. So I walk into a room. I see Howard. I go, ooh. Do I measure up to him? Does he measure up to me? Or I can connect. I can look for the commonality in who you are and who I am and find that bridge between us. And so I find, like, for example, if I'm in a situation, let's say at a a club tournament, and I'm standing there at the tee, and there's people surrounding and watching me, and I'm looking at, oh, man, I've got to really show up big here. That's me and my my competition wanting to be the best. But if I just relax into the connection of, hey, I'm here with other guys. We're going to have some fun. Who knows what's going to happen? My intention is to play the best game possible. And if I'm not attached to the result, that just may happen. No, I love that, what you said about it. And, you know, when you, we show up, whether it's in a room or on the first tee, that you can choose the ego-driven, you know, I'm going to show these guys how good I am. Um, or I hope I do. I hope I yeah, do. Exactly. And that's a, it's a, the problem is if you don't, then you feel bad and you hate yourself. Um, it's funny because another client of Tim's, another friend of mine, um, <laughs> I'm just getting this. Is there anybody you teach that I don't? Anyway, it's um, a, it's a really good referral. service. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> but one of the guys that Tim works with is one of those guys who's very, he's an interesting character, but he's very aware slash over aware of other people moving and making noise. He's yeah. always telling people, hey, just keep it down. And, and he needs to work on that, but he knows that. Well, he and I were paired in the first round of the senior club championship. And as a joke, I'm literally, you know, they, I go to the tee and I'm about to hit my first shot. Now, of course, I, you know, I want to be good and all that stuff, but I, and I knew I was going to say it <laughs> just before. And there's his, everyone standing around and there's him. And he's legendary for telling people to be quiet and move. So I, <laughs> not, not just before I hit, but I put my tee down, and I back away, I'm looking at the target, and I look over at him, and I say, oh, by the way, Mike, just, for the, just so you know, all, for, you, all I want from you is make lots of noise and stand where I can see you. And everyone cracked up because it like, like it's, it's, it's perfect, but it, it was a connection versus yeah. now it doesn't really matter if I hit a good shot or not. I've set up the tone for how I'm going to approach this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm taking it seriously, but I, not seriously enough that I couldn't have fun with him and it made it, it just made the make the experience better um i connected versus competed with it i love that i love the uh, the idea too that uh um you know i don't take myself too seriously i may take the situation seriously mm-hmm. but i don't take myself too seriously um yeah totally connects to golf and i think anything 
Yeah, I had. What do you think, Tim? Oh no, exactly. And I have a good example of that. So um, the gross match play championship at where I play Blue Springs was they had it on this one weekend. So it was like a morning round. If qualified, win it went uh, forward. So I managed to win my my uh, my morning match. Quite handily um, in overtime. Let's just be serious. It was a wonderful um, experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard all about it. It was fantastic. Stuck it to a foot. A foot yeah, in the playoff. Um, yes. Let's talk about showing up, connecting, and competing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sweet son of a bitch. <laughs> so anyway, so the, for the afternoon round, um, it was uh, playing with this guy Mike Alderman, who I actually coach. He's a super guy. He's not the Mike that says "Don't make noise" and stuff. No, like no, that. no. Okay, he's good. Another, a different Mike. Okay. He's another Mike. Um, but it was so much fun. So I know Mike really well. We become friends, uh, and we're competing in you know in the club, you know, gross match play, and we're sitting in the same cart together because it's hot, and it's just hit shots, have fun, mm-hmm. talk, but. We're both trying to win. We're both trying to beat each other, but we're having a great time. And even in the morning match uh, with Brad I played, it was just so much fun. We're going down 18, and, you know, I'm one down and all this, and we're talking about the Jays. And, I mean, but I think see, I think that's the greatest thing because that really is sort of how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to want to do well, but you're sp- I, supposed to. I, mean, I, I think the ultimate is doing well, but enjoying yourself while you're doing it. Or not. Not well, doing well. I'm just saying the idea is to enjoy yourself. And I think part of it is is that I think with, uh, through the years, I've come to understand that if it's not all about me. If I have a very tight focus, say a spotlight on me, and I'm judging my performance. Oh, I'm not playing well today. The, all this practice I put in didn't work. Uh, I'm this many over par. I t- there's a heightened level of anxiety. I tend to be more tense because I'm focused on me and, and, and everything that counts. But when I, my focus is also other-centered as well, all that other just just seems to relax. And it also seems to just engender you know, just good play, good swings, emotional equanimity. When bad stuff happens, oh, so what? Mm-hmm. Move along. Good stuff happens. It's not like I'm fist pumping, going to step on the guy's neck or nothing. So I got a great phrase I want to share with you. I started doing this in, uh, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago with my daughter in Iceland, and I was you know, like a typical dad. I like to find little things I know are kind of going to bug her, <laughs> just dad stuff. And I just, because, you know, it started innocently enough, I just point something and go, well, you don't see that every day. <laughs> but I just kept saying it for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we'd get a coffee. Oh, you don't see a coffee every day. This is Icelandic coffee. <laughs> and she'd be like, Dad, stop. Okay, it was not funny an hour. Anyway, but I've started doing that when I hit a bad shot. <laughs> started doing that. I go, well, you don't see that every day. And it makes, because it, it, for me, it's funny. Absolutely. And it reminds me that I like to be funny, but it also takes the pressure off. Like, it's part of what I think we do, being self centered, narcissistic pieces of crap, is that we forget <laughs> that. Uh, we got to, you know, one of the reasons we seem to get mad at ourselves is to show other people, oh, don't, I, don't worry, I'm going to, I'm going to, going to, you know, castigate myself for that bad shot. Whereas I'm, I, I'm looking at a way to kind of like, I hit a bad shot yesterday, whatever, missed a two and a half foot putt for a birdie. And I'm with other good players. And I literally missed it and went, but you never seen me do that before. Uh, but, but part of it is to relieve the pressure of them thinking. Ooh, it's geez. an awkward moment. Yeah, that, yeah. it's an awkward moment because like, I don't want them to think, oh, is Howard going to lose his mind? Yeah. Because Ooh, Howard, could, so Howard could have lose, lost his mind before. And now when I do that, I go, wow, you know, that's not, you don't see that every day. Because I feel that. I feel like I can hit a bad shot and go, well, that's not like me. 
Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. And, I, and, and golfers, it doesn't mean, this is what golfers do, it doesn't mean that you've forgotten how to do that thing. If you hit a bad chip, it doesn't mean you're a bad chipper. Right. It means you hit a bad chip. Jason Day, you use that example all the time. PGA Championship, chunked two chips on the ninth hole of the last round. Is he a bad chipper? Hey, stuff happens. Exactly right. David Robinson. How are yes. you? How are you feeling so far? You well, all right? This is awesome. Are you having a nice time? I'm having a fun time. Guys. I can tell. I know yeah. Dave. He's a friend of mine. He's smiling. Got that twinkle oh, in yeah. his eye. I'm loving it. You know, if golfers could understand what you were saying about, you know, commitment. Um, how did you put it? Um, you walk in and you decide if I'm going to compete or I'm going to connect. Right. Um, if golfers could just take away from this conversation on swing thoughts today that, you know. The point isn't that the game <clears throat> is supposed to be easy, because I would like to let everyone know it is a really, really hard game. It is an impossible game. What I think we're here to do with people like David, to, to further the idea that the point of the game is to make a hard game as easy on you as possible. Well said. Well said. Yeah. I would even say from a, you know, I'm a marginal golfer at best. In fact, to put it in context, my kids for Father's Day gave me a card that read something like this. Dad, we were going to buy you those balls that go extra far, but we figured you didn't want to walk that far into the forest. <laughs> so, you know, it gives you a good sense of where I'm at with my golf. But what I really wanted to emphasize is that um, for me, golf is simple. I stand up and I hit the ball. Now, is it easy? Absolutely not. But that goes with everything. I mean, being a father is simple. But is it easy? Nope. Um, and where, what really struck for me, Howard, what you just said is when I screw up, whether it's a shot or whether it's something I've done or haven't done at work, um, then the question then I have is a choice. Am I going to be hard on myself or not? You know, because I've watched guys play golf and beat themselves up one stroke after another, and it just never gets worse. In fact, it, it becomes uncomfortable for me to watch. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, and I've been that guy. I've been the guy that's wrapped a club around a tree. We've all done it, man. Yeah. My arm's up. Me yeah. too. Yep. Um, you know, David also works uh, is a specialist. A specialist. David, you know, I've been talking for, I, I, whenever, you know, when I, I should let people know, when we record Swing Thoughts, it's at the end of a two and a half hour talking marathon. Exactly. Um, oh, you're doing great. So sometimes I just get like, I get the middle of saying something, I'm like, I'm tired. That's like 36 holes. You go to Myrtle Beach, you play 36 I'm holes. I'm tired. You get on the back nine in the afternoon, a little slap happy, but yeah. you hold it together. <laughs> That's pal. where I'm at now. So David's uh, other specialty is as a... Uh, a worker. <laughs> I don't know. Is a worker awesome. person. Let me just try and get through this. A co-leader in the Mankind Project International. Yeah. He is a facilitator in a uh, men's peer-to-peer -peer support program, uh, the Mankind Project of Ontario, which is, if you could sum it up, uh, the two of you, uh, self-actualized uh, supermen. Um, <laughs> nice try. I know. Uh, give us sort of a flavor, uh, David and Tim, of what that is and maybe how you can connect the dots between that and how we show up as golfers. Uh, you go first. Thanks, Tim. I'm well, just going to take I'm, a bit of a break now. <laughs> <laughs> He's a specialist co-founder. You did not know. No. And I'm a worker guy, <laughs> too. Works, a worker Good guy. stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm working. I can't wait to listen back to this and just go, all right, just yeah, edit, edit. Yeah, Dave goes, do you edit this show? He says, no, we don't. No, you'll, yeah, and you'll hear that's why. Awesome. Um, so working man. Oh, man, that's me. I'm a working man. Oh, man, that brings back that rush tune. Yeah. Um, okay. So what was the question? I don't remember. Okay, that makes two of us. I have no excuse, though. Connect the dots. Yeah, between mankind and golf kind. Oh, man, that's such a great question now that I remember what the question was. You know, the the work that I have done and been blessed to be able to do with the Mankind Project and work on myself has literally been the most valuable work I've done in my life. Um, It has helped me, the work in men's work, and we'll talk more about that, I hope, um, has really helped me become a better father, a better uh, brother, a better husband, a better uh, leader in community and work. Coming up after the break, keeping the conversation in line with mid-season reminders, we'll hear what Paul Dooland had to say about having fun playing the game we all love. Welcome back to the second half of Swing Thoughts on TSN 1150 Hamilton, brought to you by our friends Adidas, TaylorMade Golf, and our newest sponsor, the Bushnell Tour V4 Shift Laser Rangefinder. You know, I remember I talked to Paul... From the summer of 2014, for almost a solid year on Skype and on the phone, I would say fairly regularly. The first couple of months quite often, and then every so often after that. And then I finally got to meet Paul last summer for the first time in person. And I don't know, remember the first couple of minutes I was all freaked out because I'm like, Doolin, I had no idea you were a large person like myself. <laughs> It's nothing I can do to control that, but uh, being, thank you for the compliment, I guess. It means musculature as well, but also just the gravitas that you carry yourself. Exactly. You're a big pre- – I'm trying to say you're a big presence, and you've certainly been That's a big – You've been a big presence in my life. Uh, you sort of started me down a path. I had been reading and studying the mental side of golf for as long as I can remember. I've read every book you can name, but Paul was the first person, Tim being the second, that I ever – had a chance to talk to as a golfer, whatever my handicap level is, isn't really as important as the idea that it, for, for me, it was a real shift in, you know, you can read everything you want, whether it's Rotella or, you know, Gio Valente or whatever I call them, uh, Gio Vanelli. Cars, <laughs> cars are cooler in the shade or something? Um, you, can re- you can read all you want about the mental side, but it's, it's, it's interesting just when, just, just as you can read any, you know, lots of instruction about your golf swing, but when you get to talk to somebody in person, for me, it was a bit of a, a shift and a revelation. So I want to start there with you, Paul. Um, everyone can get their head around, or most golfers can get their head around taking a golf lesson. Although we all run into people from time to time and go, oh, you know, I've never taken a lesson in my life. But what about getting your head around, no pun intended, speaking to someone like you? What do you, what do you think? Is, is it a big shift for most golfers to, to finally say to themselves, I need to go talk to somebody? 
Well, the, di- the difference to me isn't in, in the information being made available. I mean, you know, if you know, as a coach, we have to, you know, do a good job of helping people understand the principles of what they're trying to learn and in, in a simple way that they can remember. But more important is the feedback, um, because you know, people will take a swing, you know, swing lesson. And they don't know what they're doing wrong, but the coach can see it, give them the feedback, and then they can correct and do, you know, effective repetitions in their swing. And the mental game is a skill, and it's, it's one thing to have the information, but if, you know, if you can't, most of us are so immersed in our own behavior that we're not aware of things we're doing that, you know, aren't, aren't going to support us moving forward. So if you have the feedback for people to be able to say, okay, here's what you're doing versus what you're supposed to do, and they kind of look at you and go, really, is that different? It's like, yep. And I'm sure anyone taking a golf lesson can, you know, you know, can relate because they'll be like, geez, I had no idea I was, you know, that far inside the line or whatever their, their problem is. Well, let me throw something at uh, Tim here, too. I Just maybe both of you guys can react to this. You know, lots of guys that have maybe seen their swing on tape for the first time or sometimes those of us, you know, once in a while you, you'll watch your swing and go, gosh, I, I thought I was doing so much better than that. Really? That far inside? No, exactly. Really? I, I got to lose some more weight. <laughs> um, is it that way when, when, when somebody has a chance to see or get some feedback or see their sort of mental swing? Is it just as ugly for a lot of people? Uh, <laughs> it can be pretty humbling for sure. Uh, it's... Uh, the hard part is like there's varying degrees of self-awareness in all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, by meaning meaning self-awareness, meaning be aware of what we're doing while we're doing it. Sort of having almost an observer's perspective on ourselves. Some people are really good at it, and those are the ones that you know don't need a ton of coaching. The ones that aren't self-aware, they just fall into you know habitual patterns without even actually knowing they're doing it. Um, that's those. Those are the ones that really need the feedback um, on a consistent basis. Yeah, I like what you're saying about the observer, and to me, that's that's the key part. Is that that uh, yeah, self-aware people can see what they're what they're doing, but it really helps to have someone else along for the ride to see and provide perspective. And to me, usually, what the relationship is about is an exploration, and it'll, the coach is able to just kind of go, okay, you know, what's really going on there? And, and most people don't have that presence of mind. Well, let me ask you, really though, can, what's going on can you answer that. the question I asked Paul? Like, what, what is it when you're, te- when you're helping somebody, you're coaching somebody, and maybe it's for the first time to reflect back on them that picture of their mental golf swing? And for a lot of us, it's not a very pleasant thing sometimes. Sometimes it's not, but most people know what they need to work on. They know themselves. So what I do is I just I try to show themselves to themselves by mm-hmm. bringing things out. And so, okay, have you taken a look at this? And I go, well, yeah. Well, okay. Is that something you think you need to work on? And they go, well, yeah, I have been working on it. Well, why not? Well, for this, this, and this reason, because I think I need to do this or... You know, I get going down that road and I feel frustrated, so I do something else. So the role of the coach, I really think, is to bring up the parts of people that actually they probably know about themselves, but they don't really want to. Work and maybe on. they don't. Have, they know. They know somewhere in, instinctively, or they know just below the conscious level that, that this how they're behaving on the golf course, like a lot of things in life, isn't serving them. But Doolin, when we first started working together. I mean, I remember the first couple of sessions, and we were both on our computers. We were Skyping, and you were showing me material. Um, I don't know how long after talking to me or hearing my 
laments about where I was in my golf game at that time that you and I started to talk about these techniques. So here's my question, and this you guys can both answer this. Is it something where you go, I have a set of um, principles that I apply to every golfer, or I listen to different golfers and apply what I think are the principles they need most? So you go ahead first, Polly. Yeah, everyone's different for sure. And, you know, there are basic principles that apply to all of us. You know, it's kind of like the same thing. It's like, you know, we all need, you know, air, water, you know, food, that type of thing. Those are principles that, um, online, that, that work for all of us. Online porn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was, is, that not a, is that not part of the hierarchy of needs for you two? Uh, that, yes, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, okay. Um, so I wonder what if you did a, a, it would be interesting to see what there is more of is uh, ways to hit a bunker shot or yoga porn. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> I'm just so proud because I probably quite a few of the juniors I work with are going to listen in on this and their parents are going to cut me off. So congratulations. Uh, yeah, I keep, I keep forgetting that you two actually have real jobs. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just an idiot. Do, I'm just an idiot doing this on the weekends. Okay, so let's talk about applying print. Oh, yeah, like your, like your juniors aren't searching porn. Get your heads out of your ass, coaches. Um, listen, <laughs> remember you used to just be eating this catalog, right? Um, let's go uh, to Paul Doolin now for the win. Um, so everyone, what, what, everyone, everyone, what was the question again? I don't even remember. Everyone has certain needs. Uh, the high, I, I, I always remember who it is. It's not Pavlov. It's um, there's a there's the guy that created that uh, Maslow. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The right. um, so beyond those needs, Paul, you're saying when you look at a golfer, everyone's different. Yep. So. Some people have certain strengths and weaknesses. Some people are like, you know, they're brought up in an environment where some of those principles are just sort of inherent in their upbringing. Some of some just, you know, come by it by the luck of genetics or whatever. Um, but for the most part, it's all, these things are all skills, whether we adopt them from our environment or we have to work on them ourselves and overcome some older habits. Either way, uh, yes, there are certain key principles that apply to everyone, but not everyone needs them because they've already established them in whatever way. That's sort of the, the short answer. Yeah, there, the, everyone needs basic fundamentals uh, in in their mental game and, and performance. Just in terms of like, they you need to drink water, you need to be rested, you need to have good nutrition. But it depends on the type of person, what kind of coaching they really need. You have like really hard wired people, double A personalities. Well, their needs around what for their golf game are much different than someone who's just really loosey-goosey. One thing I think both of you uh, say, and I think you can agree on, and I'm in the unique position of having been coached by both of you, is that there is, and, and Paul mentioned it a few minutes ago, you have to practice it just like you practice your short game. It's not some kind of you know magic you know, pill, you go see Paul Doolin or Tim O'Connor, and, and you're going to be great the next day. It is something that you need to practice. And I think back to my original point about somebody gets to a, a stage in their golf life, whether they're a, a player like me that wants to play tournaments or somebody who wants to enjoy the game more. They come to Paul Doolin, and you get them set up, or Tim, and you guys get them set up on a program of mindfulness, just like almost learning to practice meditation. It takes... You know, you need to be sort of daily or you need to be, every time you play, you need to be vigilant to those new set of principles, right? Yeah, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make, and this is back to the original point about, you know, reading a book versus getting the coaching, is 
they just think that once they know it, they should be able to do it because, you know, they think that, that the mental game is about knowing what to do versus mm-hmm. having the, the behaviors and habits hardwired into your into your system. And those are very different things. And it's like, yeah, I read that thing. I, I mean, hear it all the time. I read that thing. It didn't work very well. And it's like, it did, it works fine. It's, it's understanding that you have to adopt the, the, the practices consistently and wrap the heck out of it. Well, it's interesting because the first time I ever spoke to a mental performance coach was uh, Paul Doolin, who we're on the phone with. And in, 19, in 2014, that would have been, honestly, guys, I started reading Rotella and all this, you know, some of this. I, I was looking through my, my mental books the other day. It's ridiculous what I have. But you're the first person I ever spoke to it spoke to those ideas with and it it was immensely helpful because just as you said i would read something and i'd try and put it into practice you know take dead aim and you know if you're not some rotella's thing if you're not thinking about the target what are you thinking about but it wasn't until i got to talk to somebody and then put together a plan for myself that it really i think made a, a, a real difference to how i conducted myself day to day on the golf course Absolutely. It's this, these are skills that you need to work on over and over again. It's like uh, someone who habitually finds, like me being one, habitually getting ahead of myself. So I had to learn the skill of, of centering, basically paying attention to my breathing. So I'd be in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a skill that I had to be aware of all the time. So I actually kept, I keep notes on, on what I'm working on. And one of those things is to come back to breathing so that when... I start to get ahead of myself or I'm thinking back. I just get into my body and, and feel what's going on, and that makes me present. The other thing that a coach really does is he'll, he'll kind of, like, call you on it. And I remember, like, so I wanted to just interject a little bit here and say that, uh, Paul, you've been a, a huge mentor for me. And, and you know, I was well down the road on exploring this world of performance and learning skills and whatnot. But you and I engaged as kind of a... a um, teacher-student relationship, and I blogged about it. Um, but I remember I was... Uh, How many years ago was that? That's about five, six, I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Grew, yeah, yeah. And I remember... I was, I was back in Canada at the time, so... Yeah, yeah and I remember we played at, uh, at Brampton Golf Club, and I hit a shank, which I still do from time to time, and I got mad, and you just... You yelled over, stop! And the key piece was what you played there was... Other than just knowing something that I shouldn't, say, invest my energy in it, you were able to almost like confront me and say, hey, here's the behavior. And if you invest your energy into this and think about this, you're going to go down a sorry road, pal. And so that, to me, is a key role that a coach plays, is that ability to hold someone to account or just to see what's going on and provide that, um, that piece of perspective. Yeah, the, the, um, when someone is in the middle of, a, let's call it a habit loop, and, and, and they're in the middle of something that's habitual and mostly unconscious, um, it's very difficult for them to, to stop that pattern. So you have to interrupt the pattern in the middle of it to start to, to, to break the, the, the flow through the neurology to right. make it sound really, you know, over over technical. Mm-hmm. But to, to break that, to, to break that, you have to interrupt it. And so... You know, it wasn't me just being a jerk and saying that. It was like stop, no. and then it, it, it gets it starts to loosen off those neural connections, right. and then you start to do new things in in that pattern. 
Yeah, but to get, so to get back to the point that Howard was making, that's part of the role that a coach can play is is that ability to see something and be able to, to cause, um, to stop the pattern from repeating itself. Well, as someone who's all, not only been coached by both of you, but also has, you know, had some uh, experience with therapists, you know, part of what I found that's similar between, you know, sort of talking to somebody about bigger issues going on in your life other than the fact that you can't close the club championship um, <laughs> is it's just providing what you just said some feedback and a little bit of sort of checking in like one of the things I found different talking to Paul and now Tim versus just reading about it is you know again for the first few months that's why I began giving a little histories first few months that Paul and I worked together we were on the phone and on Skype quite a bit and and sort of talking over some of the things that I was trying to put into practice and seeing and Paul would check in on with me. Was it making a difference and was I enjoying, you know, the experience better? Because, you know, for me in 2014, I, I wasn't I wanted to get back into playing competitively, and but I wanted a roadmap to do it beyond just, you know, how my, you know, how my learning had to hit knockdown four irons. And so I thought the thing for me, Paul, that I, I think I want to get into, I want to get into some of the stuff that Paul's actually doing. But for me, having someone like you, it was the sort of week to week feedback. And I think that's what you do for your top players as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it is, it's so easy to fall out of, you know, change patterns because, you know, number one, they're uncomfortable. Number two, it takes an extraordinary amount of energy, and some people need an external person to be a- accountable with. Not two, because it's not my career I'm helping them build; it's theirs. But you know, we're 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 sort of keeping them on track, and and it's it they know themselves well enough that they need somebody just to do that. It might sometimes they don't even they know what they need to do, but they just need somebody to be you know partners within it. I mean, everybody, like, like we were saying earlier, everybody's different in terms of what they need. So, you know, I've, I've worked with guys where they didn't really want the information. They just wanted me to, you know, support them in doing the right things and just give them the feedback. And, and that's, that's the thing about coaching is you have to really pay attention. Like, a lot of us just want to get out there and just deliver our material. And that's, a, that's only, like, maybe a quarter of the equation as far as, you know, coaching itself goes. Yeah, it's far more coaching than it is teaching. And I find that the way it's worked with my clients is that I, there's always this piece of, like, they come in and they got what I call the top-line piece, the piece that's bugging them. And maybe it's from the last round or the last pra- practice session or stuff that's bugging them. So we do a little exploration into that, and then it's coming back to the work, the work that we've identified that you know are, is what they need to do and what they've agreed to do. So I agree with you 100% in terms of around that accountability. And group accountability is, is massive in terms of how you make change. So you're accountable to yourself, but if you've got someone else who's along on that journey with you, sure, it's just so much easier, as you were saying, to help that person keep on the track. So, Paul, can you um, just talk a little bit about, you know, what's... What's it like when you work with, uh, I, know, I know on your, the note you sent both of us, it says, you know, I'm working with four guys on the big boys tour. Um, and you also work with juniors. You also work with just regular idiots like me. So what is that, what is that like? Is it different working with a PGA tour player? And I think we mentioned on our, in one of our conversations, you work with uh, Kyle Stanley, right? 
Yeah, yeah, wonderful guy. What a what a what a great human being he is. Can you mm. can you mention the other guys you worked with on the tour? Um, I, I don't make a habit of it to be honest with you. Just just because you well, know, if you did it once, that's I, not I a habit, Paul. Of, Paul, if you only do it once, that's not a habit. Well, yes. Is this a skill we're working yeah. on here? If you mention it once, that would just be like some information. You know I, mean? I mean, I don't know how many times today you've been asked that, but that's fine. Okay, Kyle Stanley and some other big-named tour players. Okay, there we go. There so we go. Again, is it, I, 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 for, their, for their privacy, I, 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 I keep that quiet. As much as it would be probably really good for <laughs> yeah. me marketing-wise, um, I, I, I respect these guys so much that I just don't, you know, I, I I just don't like to do that. And I, maybe, I think it's maybe funny. I'm making a mistake. I think it's funny that Paul also doesn't mention he works with me, but for completely different reasons. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, hey, I, I heard you work with Humble Howard. No, don't know him. Haven't heard of him. Yeah, your bio didn't say it, that it, former coach of Tim O'Connor. Um, so is it different? It, work- it's, one, it's one thing to have credibility from working with these guys. It's, it's another thing to lose credibility from working with people like <laughs> That's you. That's right. Your people would be like, I had no idea you were, you'd stoop that low. Um, Why are you so stupid? <laughs> <laughs> what, what is it? Are you, were you desperate? Do you need the money that bad? Um, Good Lord, this, this has turned into a com- just a comedy spot and nothing to do with Hey, I told you at the beginning of the show, I don't want to listen to a golf show with a bunch of nerdy dickheads. Swing Thoughts is a different show. Um, we're- Whoever's listening, why are you listening to this? Uh, you know, I'm telling you, this is a very popular... Hey, shut your face, big head. This is a very popular show. Hey, uh, oh, yeah, good. now. Um, it's funny because I Tim saw what I have. I have your name in my uh, in my uh, contact list under Paul Golfhead guy. <laughs> um, anyway, Doolin, let me ask you a question. Guru, is it different than when you work with a PGA Tour player? Would their concerns uh, be similar to the everyday player? And would the everyday player be surprised at just how similar golf is for everyone at every level? How's that for a very intelligent question? There's tons of similarities and tons of differences. Um, people are probably more interested in the differences. So number one, um, these guys are as good as they are because they have, they have massive amounts of discipline. Um, to and and motivation to master the game. It's not. It's something. Some sometimes it's got things to do with you know sort of a natural disposition for the game and talent and that sort of thing. But the big difference I see in in these guys is that when when they understand the benefit of something and they commit to it, they do the work and they don't make excuses. Right. right. Well, part, um, and partly too, if I may jump in, they do the work because it's what they do for work. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and and so. You know, everybody. You know, everybody talks about professionals versus amateurs, and a professional is someone who is, you know, really just they're they're objective about themselves enough that they just go, you know, whether I'm comfortable or not, I'm going to do things that make a difference. And so, that that's a huge difference in in in, in that that particular quality. Um, yeah, and you know the other thing is with with these guys that make a living. You know, I have to apply the, the material that I use with professionals more than I do with um, you know regular amateurs because you know the risk of, of you know my work affecting these guys in a, in a positive way is or sorry in a, in a negative way if I do my job poorly there's a bigger risk and so I can't get caught up in that and that so that's like you know the difference between a putt on the green in the practice area and a putt on the green for a win so I actually have to apply the same principles that these guys are applying on the course because I could sit there and you know 
be, you know, really, you know, scared about, you know, what's in it for me. You know, it's like, wow, I might get fired if I screw this up or if I screw this guy up is his, you know, his paychecks are going to dwindle. Um, and so that's, uh, I have to do the work while I'm doing the work, so if you know what I mean. So you're living, you're living what you're teaching. You're, you're, the key for you is to walk your talk. Yeah, I, I, I've, you know, I've had to work at it really hard to make, you know, working with a guy like Kyle, similar to the way I would work with, let's say, Howard. Um, because it's like, I can't be effective if I treat it differently. And then, then that's, you know, one of the principles of the mental game is to, you know, stop stop making things so important that it freaks you out. Yeah, 100%. And, and I've, I've, so that's, that's one of the big, the big differences in terms of me. Um, and you know the, the the work environment is different. There's a lot of things going on. Like uh, you know, at the event, I'm actually in Tampa right now. And after we finish talking, I'm going over to uh, the Valspar. Yeah. And uh, you know that you know the environment's a little bit different. It's distracting. There's a lot going on, and you know, um, so so you don't get the same type of work done. That's another difference. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, these guys are just. You wouldn't believe how normal these guys are as human beings. Like, you know, the television and all the, the, the press stuff and what's on the Internet makes these guys look like they're different from us. No, they're it's all artificial. From us other than the massively skilled in golf. You get a shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park. Thanks for tuning in to this best of episode of Swing Thoughts, sponsored by Adidas, TaylorMade Golf, and our newest sponsor, the Bushnell Tour V4 Shift Laser Rangefinder. I'm Justin Miller. For more episodes of Swing Thoughts, check us out on iTunes, and don't forget to like Swing Thoughts on Facebook. Swing Thoughts.